Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Silver Emotion Podcast. I'm your host, Will Kauf. <laughs> Welcome, ghouls and ghosts, to episode three of the Silver Emulsion Podcast. Uh, it's October. Uh, are you excited? It's uh, the month of Halloween and horror movies and all that uh, devilish fun. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Um, I, I've been looking forward to recording this all week, uh, but i got to say, now that it's here... Um, I'm a little uh, low on energy, but uh, I'm going to do it anyway. Alright, so you excited for that? A, a nice low energy show. <laughs> Nobody ever starts a show. You know, everybody everybody uh, comes in like, oh, we got a great show for you today. You know, <laughs> Nobody's like, well, you know, I don't know. We got kind of a shitty show. <laughs> You really should, you know, just go do something else. <laughs> That's the kind of uh, honesty you're going to get at the Silver Emulsion Podcast. All right, so uh, in terms of feedback this week, I didn't really get anything. So I guess uh, you can say no news is good news. Um, so, yeah, I don't have anything there. I did want to maybe solicit some uh, feedback. I love the music, uh, picking the music and integrating it uh, into the intro and the outro segments of the podcast. Uh, to be honest, that's w one of the, the biggest factors in uh, me deciding to actually do it. I'd been thinking of doing a podcast for a long time, and that was like the one thing that I always uh, thought about doing. And I'd like hear a song and uh, think like, "Oh, that'd be a good song to, to say." Welcome to the fucking Silver Emulsion Podcast. So uh, anyway, I, I really enjoy that, uh, and it's what keeps me going. <laughs> no, it's not that dour. I'm just. Uh, I'm kind of in a bad mood, but um, anyway, I, I love doing the, the music stuff, and I was wondering, uh, I I haven't picked anything crazy obscure, well, the first episode had those two funk songs, but anyway, I was just wondering if I should uh, put on, like on my website post, what the songs are, uh, if anybody cares to... Uh, get the songs, but it, it, do you want to see that? Uh, let me know. And I also forgot on the last show to talk about, in terms of uh, providing feedback, you can uh, email me at will at silveremulsion.com um, if you have any ideas or questions or anything. And then also, uh, uh, every podcast episode I do a post on the website and you can just throw a comment up there or whatever um, or not it's fine I'm gonna keep doing it uh, for a while anyway at least through October and then maybe I'll get discouraged by then uh, but I, I kind of like already have songs picked out <laughs> for the whole thing and uh, I want to play them <laughs> I should just get a radio show so I can just play music. All right. Uh, I'd like to go into... The the movie that I'd like to talk about today is a movie called Messiah of Evil. And I'm just going to be talking about this movie uh, primarily uh, today. Um, I didn't watch anything that really uh, goes together with this especially well. Uh, or anything, I didn't watch anything else that I really cared to talk about at great length. Um, so, Messiah of Evil. It is a movie from 1973, and it is directed by, I'm going to 
butcher this guy's name. Uh, his directed by Willard Huyck or Huyck. I don't know. H U Y C K. Write in if you know how to uh, pronounce that. <laughs> so Willard Huyck Huyck something. Um, no offense if you're listening, Willard. <laughs> um, and and his wife uh, Gloria Katz. Uh, apparently co-directed it, um, but it's uncredited. And they wrote the movie together, and they are kind of a husband and wife team. Not kind of, they act, they are a husband and wife team. And they um, were friends with George Lucas back in, I believe, the the USC college days of, of them. I believe they all went to school together. And they co-wrote American Graffiti with George Lucas and they also uh, co-wrote um, such things as Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom but but the, the big movie the movie that uh, really stands out to me I mean not that Temple of Doom doesn't stand out I've I love that movie I've always loved that ever since I was a little kid you know <laughs> Dr. Jones no more parachutes you know, I love it. Anyway, it's a kid from Goonies. How could I not like it? Uh, Short Round. Actually, uh, if you don't know, Short Round, the name, comes from a uh, Sam Fuller movie called The Steel Helmet. And if you haven't seen that, uh, it's fucking dope. So you should see it. Uh, it's, I believe, the first movie about the Korean War. And it was made while the Korean War was still going on. Sam Fuller on the pulse of uh, the times, as, as a ex-journalist should be. Anyway, I'm going off the rails here, but that's okay. It's Sam Fuller. Uh, but anyway, what I wanted to get to was the fact that uh, Willard and Gloria also uh, co-wrote a film that you may have heard of called Howard the Duck and uh, Willard directed the movie as well and that was the last movie he directed so they they made Howard the Duck and uh, I gotta start this shit over I don't even know where I am oh fuck it I don't want to start this shit over I should just do an unedited podcast and you can see how fucking crazy I am the fucking oh and uh, anyway and uh <laughs> the Silver Emulsion Podcast. Listen to Will beat up on himself. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, okay. So they made Howard the Duck. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, Howard the Duck uh, came out when I was about five. And I don't remember being aware of it at that time, but I was very quickly aware of it maybe a few years later uh, from seeing the, the video box in the stores and I did see it at that time and I remember thinking uh, that it was not a good movie but uh, certain things certain images of that movie stayed with me all the way to adulthood and uh, so after Star Wars The Force Awakens kind of broke my brain and I was trying to figure out uh, my uh, understanding of art and what I love about it specifically and, and what is the, the core kernel of, of truth in art and you know I, I don't know I got, I got all these big ideas all wrapped in and woven into Star Wars anyway so as part of this uh, sort of run through of George Lucas's creative career I thought well I should rewatch uh, Howard the Duck haven't seen it since I was a kid I'm a big fan of B movies and bad uh, quote unquote bad movies or whatever you know I, I I am able to have a good time with movies that most people uh, would reject so I rewatched Howard the Duck I don't remember when it was probably like April or something May I don't know a few months ago this year and flat out, I fucking loved it from start to finish. I fucking loved everything about it. It's weird. It's it's fucking way out there. 
it's very ambitious it's filled with special effects and actually uh, for a movie that's known to 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 have shitty effects there's some fucking amazing effects in that movie howard the duck himself i think was the the brunt of most of the uh the flack ah flack <laughs> is that a duck that is a duck <laughs> anyway um so I guess people didn't like how Howard looked because the fucking duck bill didn't move or whatever. I don't know. I didn't have any problems with it. I only read about it afterwards and and realized like, oh, that's what people didn't like. Uh, but but there's a fucking stop motion monster at the end of the movie that is seriously some of the best stop motion like ever because <laughs> it's pretty deep into the 80s. So the technology in terms of that kind of stop motion stuff, and it, it 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 probably actually wasn't real like old school stop motion. It was probably uh, fuck I forget the name of. It. I think it's called Go Motion, where they 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 film it in slow motion um, and move the puppet in a very like. They move it in a smooth way. It's not like one frame at a time. And they film it at a low frame rate. So then when they play it back at 24 frames, it's like moving and it's way more fluid than traditional stop motion. Um, Dyna motion is, is popping into my brain. And I think that was a Ray Harryhausen um, thing. And I am not, not going to be able to pull this up on the computer while I'm talking about it. Um, or maybe I am. Harryhausen's Dynamation. Like, I'm going to be able to read this. And... I don't know. But I do remember um, Dynamation... Like, it was, it was in use in the 50s and the 60s on the Sinbad movies and Jason the Argonauts and stuff like that. But um, I reviewed a full moon movie from maybe the mid-90s um, called Magic Island. And uh, at least at that point in time, I don't know if anybody's done anything since, but that was the last movie to ever feature Dynamation. <laughs> so there's a little fucking way off the... Messiah of Evil topic, a uh, little tidbit there for you. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. So, Messiah of Evil. So, they ended up, Willard and Gloria ended up making Howard the Duck in the mid-80s and writing Temple of Doom and American Graffiti and all that. Uh, but before all that, well, I don't know if before all that, because American Graffiti came out the same year as Messiah of Evil. So, who knows uh, what they did first. But, anyway. Um, Messiah of Evil is uh, the first movie directed by Willard. Hyuk. I'm going to go with Hyuk. That's got to be wrong, though. It's probably like... Hyuk? Hyuk? <laughs> I don't know. Hyuk? <laughs> sounds like a fucking Star Wars character. Hooik, we must go to Dantooine. <laughs> okay, maybe it doesn't. But fucking <laughs> Chewbacca's kid is named Lumpy in the goddamn holiday special, so pretty much anything can be a, a Star Wars name as far as I'm concerned. Alright, so Messiah of Evil... 1973, beginning of their careers. I don't know when they graduated USC, but I'm going to guess it was around this time or a few years before. Um, so the movie opens amazingly. Uh, first shot is a guy running down the sidewalk at night, and you, like, Something's chasing him. You don't know what. You don't see it. You never see it. Uh, he runs. 
and he like is trying to catch his breath against a wall and uh, right next to the wall is a little gate like a back gate uh, into uh, somebody's backyard and the gate is open or it opens I don't remember and anyway uh, like a 13 year old girl like puts her head out and looks at the guy and for whatever reason the guy uh, took that as like hey come in and you know you're safe here whatever so the guy goes inside and there's a pool area and uh, when he goes inside the girl is sitting across on the other side of the pool uh, she's sitting like on the wall just just watching him or whatever and so then he he's exhausted so he just lays down on the the ground on the concrete there and he's just trying to catch his breath and he doesn't know like he, he he doesn't talk she doesn't talk there's nothing going on so anything any emotions that you're really getting is just from the performances um but he's trying to catch his breath and <laughs> the girl comes up to him and you know you think like oh <laughs> what's gonna happen you know they're gonna talk or whatever because nobody's talked yet and she just fucking pulls out this straight razor and slashes his throat. <laughs> and then right after the the throat slash, it just fucking, uh, the screen turns. It doesn't cut to red, but it, it, it like an overlay of red with the title card. It's a red title card with uh, Messiah of Evil in white. And it, it's not like cut to a title card it's a transparent thing that goes over the image that we're seeing but the the title covers up the the throat that has been slashed but you can see the guy like behind it um anyway it's fucking it's one hell of an opening right talk about attention getting and then as the movie goes on we learn that um there is a woman and I should probably get her name so that it would be easier than to say, oh yeah, like the girl, the main girl. Her name is Arletty. And so this woman, Arletty, is coming to the town, uh, the town of Point Dune, which is uh, it's like a fictitious uh, California coastal town. And so she's trying to communicate or get back in touch with her dad. Uh, I don't remember specifically, but I think she hasn't been able to contact him for a while. And so she's going to go and drive to his house. So she goes out there, and this guy is an artist, an experimental artist. And like inside his house, every wall is painted with these uh, surreal paintings. Not super surreal. I mean, it's like... Um, there's like people and, and just it's very it's it's very odd I mean it's not like a landscape or anything that you know normal people would would paint on their wall or whatever um, not that normal people are painting their walls but anyway this dude is a really out there artist and he's missing nobody knows where he is she goes to the house he's not there um, and then, <laughs> I should probably say, before she gets there, right outside of the town, she stops at a gas station to uh, fill up, you know, as uh, people are known to do in cars. <laughs> so she, <laughs> she stops to fill up her car. And this is the old days, it's the 70s, so it's uh, full service. And she rolls in the little uh, thing, ding, ding. She gets out of the car, and there's nobody around. And she sees the gas station attendant. He's like off in the distance, kind of uh, maybe at the edge of the parking lot or something like that. And it's dark as night. And the way that it's shot is the the night is just completely pitch black and so it basically looks like this guy is like 
in front of this abyss. You know, he's being swallowed up by it. And he's got a gun, and he's just firing indiscriminately into the darkness. <laughs> okay. So, you know, your first thought is, what the fuck is going on here? You know, he just rolls up, and this dude's blasting into the darkness. And then his gun runs out of bullets, and then he walks over uh, to her car, to Arletti's car, and he goes... Uh, fill her up. <laughs> and she's just like, yeah, uh-huh. Like, nothing happened. <laughs> it's so weird. But I want to stress that it's it's weird in a, a wonderful way. Like, there's, there's a weird in a dumb way, like, where you can tell that it should have been done differently or, or it's just a lazy thing or whatever. But, uh... It feels uh, purposeful and correct in this specific case. And so it just sort of uh, gives you an idea of the, the type of town that she's about to go into. <laughs> like, just shit, weird shit happens. And then while she's there, a uh, old pickup truck pulls up and there's a, a big like tall albino dude that that gets out and just stands there and like stares at them so shit is up in point dune so <laughs> i don't want to just describe what's going on but i felt it was necessary to kind of describe the the opening of that movie to kind of give you a sense of what we're dealing with here it's a it's a weird surreal movie it's not a traditional horror movie in any way, although there are some sequences uh, here and there that are very much uh, playing on traditional horror kind of uh, emotions and things. Scares and frights. <laughs> so... The, the first thing that really struck me about this movie, other than than what I've already mentioned, is the fact that she's looking for her father. Her father is an artist, and he's an experimental artist. He's a guy that's, like, pushing boundaries, right? And the first place that she goes is um, the town art dealer. And the town art dealer is this blind woman. And so immediately right there... I, you know, it's hard not to sense some kind of uh, symbolism. You know, there's, art is a, a visual medium for the most part. I mean, I guess sculpture, you could have a tactile uh, element. Uh, but if you're blind, maybe, you know, you can appreciate a facet of art or the arts, music, of course. Uh, anything like that, but but visual arts, and she is a specifically like a uh, dealer of paintings and things. We only see one viewpoint of the store that she's in uh, when Arletti goes there, and it's just a, a shot of her in front of this big wall of paintings. And they aren't especially great paintings. There's like a fucking painting of a puppy <laughs> and like some shitty house. <laughs> They're not great, and as opposed to the the wall art painted by Arletti's father in his house. Um, definitely not everybody's cup of tea, but clearly um, an artist and an artist inspired by something. You know, he's, he's, he's reaching out and he's trying to, you know, go out there. He's putting himself out there. So a blind art dealer, she can't see to appreciate the art that she's selling and so I was like yeah, something's something's up with that right and the movie is very artsy and I don't want to say pretentious but to say pretentious uh, is a, a good uh, it's not a good description of the movie 
but it is a good description of the type of feeling. Like, this is an art house horror movie. You're not going to show this in a double feature with fucking Evil Dead 2 and have this the audience respond in the same type of way. I mean, like, Evil Dead 2 is a horror comedy, fucking manic, crazy. It's, it's kind of the opposite <laughs> movie to this. Like, you know, you might show a double feature of, like, Dead Alive or Brain Dead, whatever you want to call it, and Evil Dead 2, and maybe that would be too much mania. Um, but the two movies are, in some ways, similar. So Messiah of Evil is kind of artsy, pretentious, um, but I don't actually think it's pretentious. I, I feel like there's actual uh, weight to what's being said in the movie. So to get down to it, um, I don't want to spoil this movie because it's a good movie. It's a really good movie. Um, it's hard to watch because a lot of the movie has this narration. Um, the father's journals are being read uh, most of the time in narration, and then the the main character, Arletti, is also kind of telling us the story at times, like, like she's looking back on this experience. Um, so there's a lot of narration. And it's like, it's like there, there'll be like a fucking shot of ocean waves crashing and like somebody walking on the beach and <laughs> they're like this narration of this uh, kind of flowery prose written in the father's journal. And so it's hard. It's hard for me. I don't know. Other people will definitely have a different response, I think. But for me, it's hard to, <laughs> to watch that and take it seriously. Um, but if you can get past that, and I did definitely. The, the actual movie is really fantastic. It it slowly builds and reveals itself. Um, and it is very much a horror movie once it gets going and rolling. Um, and it's not unlike something like Wicker Man. Um, I'm talking, I haven't seen the remake, so I don't know. Whenever I talk about a movie, just blanket statement. Whenever I'm talking about a movie, it's the original. Because I don't. I don't know, unless I specifically say the remake or whatever. But anyway, it's kind of like Wicker Man, where where this guy in Wicker Man, um, he goes to this small town and slowly like infiltrates into the townspeople's like uh, ritualistic practices. And so this is similar, where Our Lady kind of uncovers it both by reading. Uh, the journal entries and by her own first-hand experience uh, in the town. So, <laughs> I don't know how to talk about this without spoiling it, but the underlying thing going on with the movie, which I really love, is that it basically puts the townspeople um as an opposing force to the the father character, the experimental artist, he didn't he wasn't raised there or anything. He moved there, so he's an outsider already. And if you consider the town as being like mainstream people who they have this one set kind of idea of things, and they they they're locked into that. And then this guy comes, and he's more of a free thinker, and he's trying to push the boundaries, and, and they don't want those boundaries to be pushed. So it, it deals with a lot of stuff like that, which is right up my alley. And it also speaks to um, the idea of artistic risk, where this town... 
um, is is essentially safe, where you know they're painting fucking shitty paint by numbers pictures of of puppies, and not that you know you shouldn't paint your puppy, but uh, is that art? Uh, you know, I mean it's a classic thing. Like, what is art? But to me, art can be anything. I mean, you, anything that you create is in some way an art. But there's also a craftsmanship that needs to be developed um, that can then allow your art to be better. So, but it, it, when you're doing your art, if you don't have any kind of risk, if you're not putting yourself out there in any way, if you're not vulnerable in any way, then you know you're never making that leap. You're never actually trying. Uh, I can't think of a good um, metaphor for it, but you know it's like if you go to the store and they have a world of ice cream at the store and you grew up and you only ever had vanilla like let's say you grew up in a time when there was only vanilla so vanilla's dope there's no uh, argument there vanilla is a fucking dope flavor especially in ice cream I mean, in anything, it's dope. But in ice cream, I mean, fucking vanilla is some dope shit. Am I wrong? But then they come out with fucking chocolate chip. Then they come out with mint chocolate chip. Then they come out with motherfucking Rocky Rope. Then they come out with fucking Ben and Jerry's, and then they explode the fucking horizon. And so then all these things, and it just, it just exponentially fucking growth of, of ice cream flavors. It's just every branch leading to another branch, and it, you know, it just everything is exploding out into this giant pyramid of, of endless options of ice creams. And you're still, you know, you're you're still there and you're eating your vanilla and you love it now you might have you might take the risk and have a flavor chocolate chip or whatever and you'd be like you know what I didn't like that I didn't like it as much as I would have liked the vanilla I should have just stuck with vanilla and so there's there's a type of person that will just stick with vanilla because they know that's exactly what they're going to get every time. They like it. They don't have to be challenged. There's no option of, of failure. There's no option of being disappointed. It's the same exact thing of people that that only uh, stick to like chain restaurants. It's fucking, you know, you go to Applebee's in your hometown you go travel to fucking New York City. You find the Applebee's in fucking Times Square. Oh, now let's visit Chicago. Oh, let's go to the fucking Applebee's. You know, like, instead of actually experiencing each location as their own thing, you are scared of the risk, you know? So it's the same thing in art. Without the risk, it's nothing. It's fucking meaningless. If you're not putting yourself out there, uh, then why are you fucking doing it? And that's essentially my main problem with Star Wars Force Awakens, in a nutshell. But, I'm supposed to be talking about Messiah of Evil. So anyway, Messiah Evil encapsulates that artistic struggle of like the risk versus the mainstream and puts it into this horror movie setting. And it's really cool because then, like, if you think about the art dealer, she's blind and she's essentially the, the, the gatekeeper or the, the, the one that these safe people come to 
to, you know, to, to fill up their homes with art and wall hangings and things. And she's blind, so she doesn't fucking know what it is or if it's good or, or anything about it. She's just like, yeah, whatever, get the fucking this thing. I'm told it has a puppy on it, you know. And so to me, that's like um, the people buying from the blind art dealer don't care about art or creativity and the blind art dealer is just trying to make a living she doesn't actually care about it and so because they don't both of the people in this transaction don't care they're also in a way just trying to subscribe to this mainstream culture and so individual individualism doesn't matter to them either so like art creativity individualism which is they're all parts of the same thing i mean everybody as an individual can fucking blast off in all these different directions depending on what has intrigued them uh, in the past or in the future whatever you know not in the future obviously but they can make the future out of their past and you know everybody is a, a collection of the things that happened before them um and, and before in their lives you know everything leads to wherever you are at this moment sort of thing and so essentially all they're doing is consuming this uh this quote-unquote art or whatever it is they're consuming they're just consuming they're 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 taking and they're not like creating anything not, there's no purpose for their existence and they're essentially you know followers these kind of mainstream people are, are just they're followers um, and specifically in this case and I'm kind of dancing around it because I don't want to spoil the movie but like this this town you know they're very much followers and you can imagine from the title Messiah of Evil that these townspeople are not, uh, you know, up to, uh, uh, they are definitely up to no good. Let's put it that way. So they have, they, they, they paint the townspeople in this, this light of, of, you know, they don't care about art or individualism. They're consumers. And then there's also a religious component. Um, as you can tell with the title Messiah of Evil, the religious component locks in with that and sort of applies that same logic to the idea of following organized religion, which is very much up my alley. <laughs> so, I, like I said, I was really into this movie. The actual watching it is a little tough because of the, the artiness in parts and the narration and stuff. It's, it's kind of hard to get through sort of thing, but but it's always putting out like a quality message and it's very well shot it's beautiful to look at and uh i definitely recommend it but just don't don't go in expecting like fucking a slasher movie or some whatever you know i mean even 73 i don't know what the big the big horror movies were in 73 but um whatever they were don't, don't expect that oh, let's see if i can oh well wicker man was the same year uh exorcist came out the same year uh don't look now which is fucking dope if you haven't seen don't look now that's a, that's a fucking dope movie to see what else is 73 uh that's horror eh. i don't know i don't see anything that stands out to me uh, so I definitely recommend Messiah of Evil just don't go in expecting it to be something that it's not it's it's already it's it's more thematically uh, intriguing than story-wise or anything like that um, but just go in with an open mind and uh fucking enjoy so with that i've definitely uh, talked more than enough about messiah of evil although i probably forgot a couple of things that i wanted to say um but that's how it goes so let's go into the 
segment that I like to call, is it good or is it shit? No, no. What was it? Is it good or is it a piece of shit? That's what it is. Okay. This week, I watched quite a few movies, so I'm going to try... Okay, chair. Yes, yes. I know, I know, buddy. You're, you're, you're... I know, you're part of the podcast, too. Yeah, chair got a little... <laughs> he wasn't squeaking, and he, so he got a little, uh, you know, he thought I forgot about him. Okay, so I watched a number of movies, so I'm going to try not to go crazy, because I'm already at... Uh, a good amount of time on this. So, I rewatched a Shaw Brothers horror movie called Hex. It is uh, from 1980, and it was directed by Kuei Chi Hung. And Kuei Chi Hung is one of my favorite Shaw Brothers directors. He directed uh, my favorite Hong Kong horror movie, Bewitched, and the sequel, Boxer's Omen, that's very popular uh, because it's so fucking batshit crazy. He also directed um, The Killer Snakes. I, I don't want to just read out his stuff. Fucking Kuei Chi Hung is dope, though. Anyway, I rewatched Hex. When I first saw it, a couple of years ago, when I re- when I reviewed it, I didn't pre- I did I liked it, but I wasn't crazy about it because I thought it was going to be a black magic movie, and it's totally not a black magic movie. So I rewatched it, and about halfway through it, the idea of oh, this is one I need to reckon with <laughs> came into my brain. The idea being that, like, on the surface, it's still the same movie that I saw a couple of years ago, and I still feel relatively the same about it, but uh, the movie is not working on that same traditional level that I'm taking it in as. So I, I, I thought about it quite a bit while I was watching and then afterwards, and the general nature of a Hong Kong ghost movie, there's a, a very traditional sort of uh, formula, I guess. I don't know if it was known as a formula, but to me, most of them follow this formula. The, f- the first part of the movie sets up somebody is being wronged, um, usually by a real son of a bitch, asshole dude, or lady, I guess, depending on the case, usually it's a guy, or at least in the movies that I've been watching lately, it's a guy. And so they set up how much of an asshole he is, then the ghost comes and gets revenge, like, in fucking horrific fashion, and the movie ends. You know, in Hex, it it starts out very much in that same way, where it's setting up this asshole character, and this dude is a, like a serious asshole. <laughs> he is a fucking asshole, and so it kind of you know you kind of are, are lulled into this sort of dreamlike state because the movie is shot real hazy and like foggy and and it's 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 almost dreamlike where where it it doesn't like it's shot on the Shaw studio lot um and and Chi Hung is known for hating to shoot on the Shaw lot and almost all of his movies are predominantly shot on location in Hong Kong but this one is like 100% entirely on the lot which is already weird for a Kuei Chi Hung movie. So, um, and the way that he shoots the lot is completely different than any other movie I've seen from the Shaw Brothers. It has its own feel. It doesn't really feel like the Shaw Brothers studio in terms of visually, like the sets and stuff. It, it feels different. Um, all due to the visual style and the way that he shoots it. So anyway, it starts off with Hex 
this is supposed to be the segment where I just say it's good or it's a piece of shit, and here I am fucking probably going on for 10 minutes about Hex. Anyway, it subverts the normal formula of asshole, ghost, revenge, end of movie, and it plays with your expectations of that. And so, like, if you were a big fan of Hong Kong horror movies, as I am, as I am, and am always uh, striving to learn more, the movie doesn't work on the same levels that it the other ones does. It the other ones do. It uh, it subverts that and goes after um, different things. And also, it's kind of uh, structurally based on the French movie Diabolique. Uh, which you haven't seen and if you haven't seen it uh, definitely check it out especially if you like Hitchcock movies Um, it's not a Hitchcock Hitchcock movie but it is uh, similar in tone and style and stuff anyway Hex is a unique take and so while it's not uh, viscerally exciting like Bewitched or Boxer's Omen um, I mean there's moments that are like that in hex but for the most part it's not um the the idea of subverting that that traditional ghost storyline uh is very admirable and i like that uh quite a bit so it it definitely was uh, a good movie to rewatch, and uh reckoning with it uh, allowed me to like it more uh, than i did on the surface initially so uh good yes it is definitely a good one so next, I watched a 1989 movie directed by Brett Leonard called *The Dead Pit*. And Brett Leonard, uh, this was his first movie, and he went on to make *The Lawnmower Man* and *Virtuosity* with Denzel Washington. And I haven't seen those movies in forever, so I I don't know how this movie stacks up uh, directorially. But uh, just at, right out of the gate, I'm going to say uh, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, you know what? I did watch a movie before Dead Pit, but I'll just do it after Dead Pit. Whatever. Um, so Dead Pit is definitely a piece of shit to me. There's things I like about it, but um, it's essentially a zombie movie, but it does this classic B-movie thing where B-movies, if they don't have the budget to do a lot of gore, they'll put like a really gory scene uh, to grab your attention at the beginning and then like don't pay off on anything throughout the movie and then maybe at the end you get a little bit something. So this movie definitely does that except for at the end they they like go fucking hog wild and it really it's kind of fun and gory (laughs) but for for like in between those two periods there's like an hour and fucking 15 minutes or some shit where it's just like really uh over serious uh people in in a sane asylum like talking about dumb shit that doesn't matter I don't know. I wasn't really into it. What what I found interesting is that, that during the end, when the zombies got out, they weren't they weren't traditional zombies anyway. They were like these guys that this this surgeon um, this surgeon was trying to work on uh, like a organic link between insanity and um, like, I don't know how to, <laughs> I kind of ran out of steam there. He's trying to find if, if there's something actually physically in the brain that is causing insanity. And so to, in order to do that, he's cutting open the tops of their heads and like leaving their brain exposed. And I don't know how, oh yeah, he was putting these big fucking needles into their brain to like stimulate emotions and things. I don't know how that turns into uh, understanding insanity but I don't know this guy's clearly crazy so <laughs> you know he's not the most logical 
But anyway, the thing that I really enjoyed about this movie, as much as I didn't like it, is that when the zombies come out and they're attacking people, they don't eat the people like traditional zombies. They fucking go for their heads. <laughs> they, like, knock these people down and get on top of them, and you think, like, in Day of the Dead, when they <laughs> rip apart, uh, fuck, I can't remember his name, but... <laughs> The fucking sergeant or whatever, and they rip his fucking guts apart, and he's like, choke on him! <laughs> like, you expect them to do that, uh, but instead, they just go for the head, and they, like, pop the fucking skull open, pull out their brains, <laughs> and then they, like, play with it and squeeze it and shit, and just, like, laugh maniacally. <laughs> they don't do... <laughs> And they show this, like, a lot. There's, like, a fucking zombie on a table, like, just fucking squeezing his brain like like he's a fucking two-year-old. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very enjoyable. I don't know why they're doing it, but I, <laughs> I enjoy that quite a bit. Uh, but overall, Dead Pit is shit. A piece of shit. <laughs> so, uh, the next movie is... Don't Go in the Woods, 1981, directed by James Bryan, and uh, he apparently directed some other movies, The Executioner Part 2, fucking Hell Riders, <laughs> lots of shit, probably all pieces of shit, I don't know. Anyway, Don't Go in the Woods is a, is a fucking total piece of shit, from a traditional standpoint. Uh, there's basically no story. It's just, you know, like the title, Don't Go in the Woods. Well, these people in the movie went into the woods. And we don't really know them. They're not really characters. There's a couple people that have names. Uh, but I don't... They're not the kind of uh, characters that you ever are going to know. And uh, Their names are fucking meaningless. So the whole movie... It's just people in the woods uh, getting fucking killed, basically. It's just like a montage of people getting killed by this f fucking mountain man dude. So in theory, uh, I should totally love this movie. I like uh, the idea of mountain men and uh, the woods. is very nice scenery. And it's 1981, so it's physical effects. But there's really nothing to hold this fucking movie together. Except for some 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 enjoyable gore here and there. Like right when the movie opens in B-movie fashion, as I uh, mentioned before, this fucking dude's arm gets chopped off, and it's hilarious and fantastic. And, you know, it set me up for nonstop fun. And I got the non-stop fucking slasher elements, but it, it, I don't know. It's not fun. It could be fun. And it's it's a lot more fun than something like Dead Pit. Like, Dead Pit has an overwhelming amount of story, whereas Don't Go in the Woods has zero story, and it's just a montage of killing. Uh, <laughs> The two movies are probably about equal in terms of how much I liked them overall, but Don't Go in the Woods was a, a much easier watch for me. But that being said, uh, Don't Go in the Woods uh, is a piece of shit that uh, should remain in the woods. <laughs> Alright, so let's see what else I got. I got one more movie. I, I rewatched. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure if I've ever seen this movie start to finish in one sitting before. I know I've, I've seen millions of parts of this movie over my entire life, but I can't remember if I ever sat through the whole movie in one go before. But anyway, it's the 1931 uh, Dracula, directed by Todd Browning, starring Bela Lugosi. And I gotta say, at this point in horror movies, it's kind of hard to go back to this one. Uh, I love Universal horror movies, 
the mummy and the wolfman are uh two of my favorite movies those are easily my favorite uh universal horror movies the mummy is easily number one i watched that a bunch when i was a kid i i love that movie um dracula what's interesting about it is that they strip away like almost the entire story there's not really a story in this there's plot and there's points you know that plot points that connect a to b but there's not really a story in this version of dracula he just you know jonathan harker comes to the castle and uh to deliver the papers for carfax abbey is it carfax abbey carfax like the fucking <laughs> carfax that can't be right <laughs> is it really that the fucking carfax it's, it's... hold on <laughs> i gotta look this shit up because i can't because carfax is that fucking thing where you look up uh, the details on your car right yeah, carfax.com, used car listing and vehicle history report, and they got that little fucking car fox that's <laughs> faking you out. But then, is it actually Carfax Abbey in the thing? And how did I not notice that before? Hold on. Yeah, fucking Carfax Abbey. <laughs> Man, they should remake it, and it should be sponsored by Carfax. <laughs> uh, okay, I was way too amused by that than I should be. <laughs> so anyway, Dracula, there's not really a story. I mean, he, he goes to, to Carfax Abbey, and then uh, there's a bunch of stuff in this movie with Renfield. He's like a fucking supporting... He's probably in the movie as much as Dracula is. And, uh, I don't know, it, I mean, the, the, the key points are there, Lucy's there, and Mina's there, and, you know, the, Van Helsing comes, and, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the story, it's the basic story, it just, um, I don't know, it just didn't, <sighs> I mean, I feel bad to say that, because it's, it's fucking Dracula, and it's what like 85 years old or something like that and you know and i love old movies so i have nothing against old movies but like just i don't know like in terms of movies being made at that time it's like nosferatu is hands down like a fucking great movie still to this day but I would not say that about Todd Browning's Dracula. It's good, no doubt, and it's very iconic. And like Bela Lugosi clearly like still defines that look of Dracula um, in the cultural consciousness. It's a very important movie, definitely. And like, there's some really great camera work in it, especially for the year 1931, where there's like. I don't know if it's actual dolly or if it's a crane, but there's some some great moving camera and they there's a, a, a really nice push in on Dracula's face. Uh, I'm a big fan of stuff like that. Uh, but then you know the all the static stuff is kind of you know just standard 30 stuff. Um, but what what is really impressive about it is there's a lot of these big giant sets. Like the castle set with the big stairs that they go down, and and uh, like when at the beginning when Jonathan Harker goes to Dracula's uh, castle, he's in the entryway, and it and it, maybe it's not, I don't know, but it looks like it's this big fucking giant room. Um, it's really impressive, but just in terms of involvement in us in in any kind of a traditional movie way it's not very involving dracula is not much of a foreboding like character he has an iconic look and all that and bella lugosi you know he's got that fucking dope face and the eyes and stuff but like i don't know there's not a lot of drive to it 
uh, one of my notes is <laughs> he's just in England snooking about. <laughs> I, I meant to write sneaking about, but I wrote snooking. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's it. I would definitely say that it's good, though, um, but just uh, it's it's not as good as like Frankenstein or the mummy or invisible man or wolfman to me uh it's it's probably the the worst <laughs> the, i don't know it's, i feel bad to say that because it's still good oh i do want to say that the i have the dvd the, that came out a number of years ago where it, it the legacy collection where it has all the sequels too and there's some shit in that that movie where it's like it's all dark and you can't see anything and it looks like it's just bad cinematography but i looked up the cinematographer just as a curiosity while i was on the imdb page and it's a guy named carl frund um frund i don't know if it's Frund. it could be freund i don't know Again, with the fucking names that I have to pronounce. It's a lot easier when I just have to write these names instead of pronounce them. But anyway, this guy uh, is a German guy, I think, I believe. Anyway, he shot fucking Fritz Lang's Metropolis, which is, if you if you haven't seen it, fucking watch it. And specifically watch the, the, the most recent restored version. Um, it's fucking incredible. It is so good. It's It's amazing how how well that movie holds up uh to this day and it's shot fucking beautifully so that led me to uh, try to figure out if dracula had shitty cinematography or if uh it was just the transfer on the dvd so it has been released released to blu-ray so i found a couple of comparison screenshots and it's definitely transfer like the the blu-ray is very nice and lightens up um the, the all these like murky shitty video transfer areas uh, on the old print and i don't mean lighten up in any like artificial way it's just scanning the negative properly and uh, capturing the image that's actually on the negative uh, as you're supposed to so anyway uh, i would say it's good uh, just watch it uh, with uh, reserved expectations i would say so um that's the show episode three in the can I invite you, uh, everybody, to go to silveremulsion.com to get your uh, film review needs met, kind of, because, you know, I I don't cover everything, but uh, you might find something that you like. And coming up on the site this week, I have a review of the David Dakota movie Prison of the Dead, and uh, so that's, uh, look forward to that. Uh, Steven's got a review of a anime TV series called Mononoke, and it's not related to Princess Mononoke or, or any Ghibli-related thing. Um, but it's a real out-there, uh, really interesting art-style anime, so definitely check that one out. And uh, and then on, on Friday, I have a another Shaw Brothers horror movie review coming up for the Kuechi Hung movie Spirit of the Raped. <laughs> yep, that's what it's called. So uh, once again, keeping it highbrow at silveremulsion.com. And so uh, that's the show. Um, adios. I'll talk to you next week. And uh, if you want to send me some, some uh, feedback or anything about the episode, if you want to know about the music, whatever, uh, either send me an email at will at silveremotion.com. Uh, you can also Twitter uh, Twitter me, <laughs> whatever. Fuck it. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, Or uh, leave a comment on uh, the podcast post on the website. So uh, that's it. Um, my name is Will once again, and... I'll see you at the movies. (laughs) So long.